Did you know that the perfect snack exists that not only has the yum factor, because that's important, but also packs a real protein punch? I'm talking about Wonderful Pistachios, a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Now that's a snack you can feel really good about. It's hard for me to currently pick a fave because they have several flavors to choose from, including no salt and jalapeno lime options. But if I absolutely had to, I'd say I'm in my no shells, wonderful pistachios, sea salt and vinegar era. It's the ultimate snacking solution for when you need a quick, convenient and tasty boost of pistachio goodness straight out of the bag. Whether you enjoy the ritual of cracking open each nut or you lean towards the ease of no shells, Wonderful Pistachios has something for everyone. It's time to elevate your snacking game with Wonderful Pistachios. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Hey, happy Monday, and thank you so much for clicking play on this episode of Brown Girl Self Care. My name is Bree, and I'm the host of the show. This podcast is a safe space for women that look like me, that look like you, where we can be completely unapologetic about our self-care, self-love, and healing. So this in this space, we get all the way real with our conversations and dialogues. So kindly leave your guilt about taking time for yourself at the door, okay? Now, today we have a really good episode. My guest today is Naya Abernathy. And really the title of this episode is basically comes down to figuring out life when you are a people pleaser, don't want to piss off God, and your job just ain't hitting. I'm just going to keep it real. That's exactly what we're talking about today. This is a really good episode. I know that you're going to be able to identify this um, if you are a black woman, if you have ever been in need of healing, if you ever were at a job where you just were like, why am I even here? I hate this place. <laughs> um, if you are a people pleaser and if you are a Christian or a person of faith and you are just trying to live your life in such a way where you do not quote unquote, make God angry. So that affects every decision that you make. This is the episode for you. Go ahead and take a listen and I will catch you after the episode. Hey, beautiful brown girl, Naya. Hello, Brie. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good, good. I'm so thankful that you are uh, joining me today. I'm excited to dive into your story. Uh, but before we do, if you don't mind, if you can just introduce yourself. Uh, that would be awesome. Yeah. So my name is Naya Abernathy, um, and I am the founder of The Dignity Effect. Um, and I speak and write around the concept of dignity. Awesome. Awesome. So let's go ahead and dive in. I'm really excited to get the juice here and some great takeaways. Um, I was drawn to your story because you mentioned uh, that I think in your early 20s, you experienced like a sort of breakdown. And that's what started you on your way to like your mental health and dignity journey. Can you back up to your 20s and just kind of tell us what was going around going on excuse me around that time and what led you to start that mental health and dignity journey yeah of course um i so i'm actually working on a piece uh about mental health and faith um because i had this like the culmination of everything when it was really at its worst was uh this senior year of uh, college 
and um, I was dealing with uh, the crossroads of an eating disorder, um, depression, anxiety, legalism, and probably uh, some undiagnosed like mild OCD, which I've recently learned was going on. Um, and it all kind of came together at once. And I hit my, the bottom of my bottom. Um, and the people around me started getting very concerned and there, it was a process, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, there are people who would, would notice something was going on and maybe that I needed some help, but I was, um, I was in a, in a fog and my reality did not really match what, uh, everybody else was seeing. And so it, once I had really hit, um, that bottom, I think I had, I had lost like 20 or 30 pounds in like three or four weeks. Um, I, I was in a, in a really dark space of like self-hate. Um, I was, you know, questioning my relationship with God at levels where I was, you know, not, I just, I was really, I don't want to say out of my mind, but that's kind of the only, that's the only way I can succinctly describe it. But, um, And I was talking to somebody about this recently because I don't remember, like, I remember that happening, um, but I don't remember a specific thing. Uh, like, it got really bad, and then all of a sudden I realized that I needed help, and I started getting it. Like, that's, that's not really what happened. I think mm-hmm. one of the things that happened is I was physically spiritually, mentally, and emotionally exhausted because there had been mm-hmm. a buildup for four years, three years mm-hmm. up to this point. Um, and I was just exhausted. And so all of the ways that I thought about myself, that I thought about my myself in the world, um, a lot of my internal life was really damaging and toxic. And I kind of think my whole self was just like, we 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 cannot do this anymore um Mm. and so uh it wasn't until this was so a few years after like two a year and a half maybe after that um I had I was things were getting mildly better Mm -hmm. um but I hadn't really committed to do some of the work that I needed to care for myself, some of the deep work. I'd done some some surface things, but I was still feeling some turmoil on the inside. Um, I was still dealing with the, with the eating disorder. Um, I hadn't gone to therapy, so I wasn't getting support um, around the anxiety and the depression. And um, one day I was, I don't even remember what I, what I did, but I did something that I thought was bad or wrong. Mm-hmm. And I remember having this overwhelming feeling of anger at myself to the point where I, for the first time, wanted to harm myself because I was so angry that I had done something wrong. And I never felt anger like that towards anybody else. And I immediately was like, oh, this is this is not OK. Like, you don't this is just not you got something has to change. And so at that point, I really said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and go to a therapist. 
um, went to a therapist, we talked about medication, there were some other steps that were taken. Um, mm -hmm. And I think part of my barrier getting there was really um, the fact that uh, I think in a lot of faith communities, and especially in a lot of um, black faith communities, Mm -hmm. Mental health is mental health and mental illness isn't really a thing. I think it's changing now. Yeah. Um, but this was this was 10, 12 years ago. And it was just. I I definitely was carrying around that you just not you're not praying enough. You're not believing enough. If you were just doing more of the good stuff, you wouldn't be going through this. And with like strong black woman syndrome on top of that, it. I was kind of shut down to the vulnerability and authenticity that is required to reach out during those times and say, I really do need help. Um, mm. And I also, also didn't really feel like I was worth it, right? Like I was dealing with self-hatred. So mm. I was in perfectionism and legalism. And so I'm like bootstrapping it. You just need to do right. better beating myself up instead of being like, I can't. I don't even know what it is and I can't do it. And I really do need help and to trust what people were, you know, what people would tell me. Which was like, yeah. yeah, like, girl, everything you do is not wrong or bad. And I, oh. I that's what I believe. Or you should mm -hmm. be kind to yourself. And I was like, no, I should just do better. Kindness isn't going to do anything. And so you know, yes. <laughs> I was going to say, so you said actually a few things. I want to, I want to stop you there and ask you a few questions. Um, cause there's so much and I can identify with some of the stuff that you're talking about. And that's funny to me because I think that the more these interviews or sessions that I do, the more I realize that we can definitely identify. We think that our stories are so different. And I mean, they are, we all have our individual stories, but there's still some interwoven similarities of each person that I've spoken to. So I, I, I can just identify so much with what you're saying. Um, mm -hmm. The first question is, I want to make sure I'm hearing you properly. So I know that you said you were dealing with or struggle with like self-hate and depression and an eating disorder and perfectionism and, and everything. But I also heard you say, are you saying legalism? Legalism. Yes. What, what is that? So it's, it's really used in the religious context. It's basically when you are approaching faith by the letter and there's no okay. spirit, there's no relationship. It's just, I need to do everything right. And usually it's not just the, the things that are in the text. It's also the things that people have said you need to do. And so I was getting a lot of information or a lot of opinions about how to be the best Christian. Mm -hmm. And I would try and do those things. And if you take what everybody is telling you to do and try and do it, you're not going to do it. It's impossible. Um, yeah, and then crazy. I would, <laughs> right, which is kind of what happened. And then I would yeah. feel guilty and feel um, really bad about not being able to do all the things that this collection of people were telling me to do on top of, you know, whatever I'm you know, reading in, in the Bible. And, and when I was approaching the Bible to read, I was approaching it from a place of self-judgment, of fear, of condemnation. So I would, I mean, my starting mm -hmm. point was all wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't help because it could be saying something wonderful, but you're always going to take it in 
with that skewed view when you're approaching right. it that Okay. So that's that. I, I can identify with that too. Um, so with that said, where let's, let's back up even further. Where do you think that stemmed from? Like, I hate to speculate, but since, you know, I do find some similarities in what you're saying, was there any abuse in your childhood or uh, like anything like that? Or what, where do you think that all this stuff kind of started from? I didn't experience any abuse. Um, What, what I think part of what happened is part of this personality. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm an only child which means I'm also the first child. Mm-hmm. Um, and performance has always been a thing for me. Um, people pleasing is probably uh, one of the hurdles that I have to work through um, still. And so when that gets out of balance, you want to please people like your single mom who's working really hard and you want to make sure that whatever you do, she's happy with. So mm-hmm. um I got to get straight A's. I got to be the perfectest. I got to blah, blah, blah. I can't mess up. I can't. And so for me, I think part of the process was um, like internalizing that performance to where it became part of my, my worth mm-hmm. and uh, or really did become my worth. And my value was wrapped up in how I performed and and what you learn about what does it mean to be a good girl? What does it mean to be um, a strong black woman? And these aren't things that people necessarily say, like, here's a list of things you need to do. It's what you see, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's what you see in front of you, what you hear in stories. Um, like, I would hear stories about women in my family or women that m- my mom knew or, you know, that had overcome these, like, ridiculous just situations in life and I'm sitting here like I I I wanna be that great and that awesome and have that kind of a um you know just ability to to overcome and right. the it the stories are great. I wish when I was younger that I heard more stories about the struggle, about the vulnerability, about Hey, I tried this and it, and I did a terrible job. I failed. Like, I wish that that was also a part of the storytelling and part of what I saw. And maybe it was, but it wasn't what I, again, internalized. So, um, so yeah, I think, and I mean, also, yeah, I'll just, I'll say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Yes, definitely, definitely agree with that. I think that for our community, at least, you're right, things are definitely in the last, you know, 10 years changing. Um, we are now displaying our, vulnerab- our vulnerability um, <laughs> in different ways, different movements. We're being more open, I guess, with the outbreak of social media really being social we're putting the social in social media these days which is Mm -hmm. great um we are you know taking time to share more and be more authentic and we're also reaching to to find people that are sharing similar stories so we don't feel so alone um but you're right like as a kid or back in the day um before the last you know 10 years or so 
it's just like you're you're trying to be a specific version of something that you saw and a lot of times all that you did see was just like whatever was going on in the home possibly on Mm -hmm. tv you know Mm -hmm. maybe what you saw from your friends or at school and in the church because the church was a huge part of a lot of our lives and in those stories that we have a lot of stuff was swept under the rug hidden away, not talked about for whatever reason, but it was imperative that we be good Christians and follow things this way and that way. And, you know, Mm -hmm. those struggles that definitely would help others weren't really talked about. Um, It was just always kind of, it was maybe snickered about, you know, in the pews Mm -hmm. or gossiped about or things like that, but just seeing healthy women overcoming stuff, without being mocked or ridiculed or things like that, mm-hmm. it would have been really good to see examples of that and not having everything kind of just brushed under the swept under the rug or whatever and hidden it away in shame. So I definitely can right. relate with just like the whole perfectionism thing, regardless of how you get there. Um, perfectionism is just not fun because I found that for me, it just led to having these conversations in my head where I was never ever ever good enough i still struggle with that just not good enough in any capacity making mistakes calling yourself stupid and dumb and (laughs) just those internal conversations so yeah i completely understand where you're coming from so you're in college and you're going through all this stuff and i know that you said that you started to go to like therapy and stuff like that um what what kind of things or what kinds of things helped you to move towards your place of healing? Like what Mm -hmm. kind of things did you do? Yeah. Um, So I will say that therapy was a good thing to to start Mm -hmm. and I did not always have good therapists. So Mm -hmm. finding a, finding a, finding a decent therapist can be a journey within itself. Yeah. Um, and so one of the first therapists I had was fine, like, especially I didn't have like anything else to base it on. But one of the things that I remember just like really compiled on where I was, where I was at the time, um, this therapist was always late to our appointment. Oh, and I wow. was, I, w- I didn't have a car. I was like taking like two buses and a train to get to this, this um, therapist's office. And I mm-hmm. would, it would be locked or I'd have to sit out and wait. And, you know, and I was like this, I, I did not have the, um, the ego strength to be like, Hey, this, I'm not okay with this. Like you're making, mm-hmm. this is making me feel unimportant. This is making me feel like I'm a burden to you. I was just like, Oh, I just, it's like, I would be upset. And then I would also be telling myself like, don't like, don't get out of line. Just it's fine. Mm. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And they would always be very apologetic. Like they were never, they never acted like, yeah, you should be fine with it. But I was right. like, oh, it's okay. When really on the yeah. inside, I'm like, this is not okay. Like so, you couldn't express your emotions about the fact that you were pissed off or not even pissed off. Just like, hey, I'm, I'm important. I matter. Yeah. This keeps happening. Like you weren't even able to with yourself outwardly mm-hmm. express your feelings and address the situation like right, most no. adults are able to do. You know what I'm saying? 
And I'm sure. not saying that to be funny because I str- I know what you're saying because I struggle with that. It's like you have that, like you or you internalize it. You just push it down. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I, I get that. Yeah. And then it just all it does is it petrifies or or it turns into something else that the anger mm-hmm. comes out someplace else because it just piles up. But so one of the things that I had to I I started this and there were there there are places on my journey where I could say that it continued to increase, but I had to start learning to be um authentic with people that I knew loved me mm-hmm. and receive whatever they said. My expectation was when I'm authentic and I say, you know, um like I was like I, I had some I was dealing with a lot of like crazy thinking, intrusive thoughts, things like that. So if I would say I I had this thought today and it really scared me and blah, blah, blah. What I would expect people to say is, oh, I knew you were terrible, you know, Mm, but mm -hmm. I had to allow people to say, oh, well, let's talk about this. And I'm so sorry that happened. And um, how can I help? Let's pray together. Let's talk about it. Maybe whatever that happens to me, too. Like whatever the thing was that Mm -hmm. wasn't condemning me that's what I needed but I had to let I had to allow people to do that and it was kind of scary because again I was expecting I was expecting to be shut down I was expecting for people to discard me um to find out the dirty secret that I was secretly a horrible person on the inside um and that was never the feedback that I got and so I think that was part of it so being in community with people that had proven to me already that they loved and cared for me and being able to open up in that, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, journaling was huge. I actually went back mm-hmm. and read some of my journals from that time and they're really like, they're, they're really, uh, they made me angry because now this is like 15 years later. Now I'm like, wait, 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 I- you have your journals from like 15 years ago. Oh, boo. The first entry from that journal was from 2001. Shut <laughs> the front door. Yes. I that have is that amazing. Because <laughs> I'm like, listen, because some of the entries are just because of where I was, they're so dark. I'm like, I don't want to yeah. throw this out when somebody finds it. So then I'm like, hide it in like a bin somewhere. My husband's not going to look for it. So now yeah. I'm like, okay, when my kids get older and go through my stuff, like I've gone through my mom's stuff, just like, you know, yes. just being a kid. I'm like, yes. I'm going to have to burn. I'm going to have to burn these. Point Girl, cause. I think about that stuff too, because I too keep, I don't have 15 years worth. Cause I, I, I tip my hat to you because you are the journal pimp because <laughs> I cannot go back 15 years, but I do keep my journals and I always, and I'm trying to get out of it. But when I'm writing stuff, cause I'm like, okay. Because I, I am keeping them because I do want my daughter to be able to go back through my life and see what happened and just my thoughts and, you know, all that stuff for good or for bad. I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but, you know, just to show her that life, this is how I thought or how I think or whatever. And just so she yeah. can have a piece of me, you know, but it's like when I'm writing stuff, I'm like, oh, shit, you know, what <laughs> is she going to go back and read that and be like, what? So I'm just like, but I'm trying not to censor myself, but I do think that in the back of my mind, like, okay, so your daughter's going to read that someday, you know? So, but that's, 
That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Don't burn them, girl. Keep them. <laughs> okay. I'm a, yeah. So my daughter's two and a half. I have tons of time before she can like read and understand <laughs> yeah. and like can make that decision, you know, but, um, yes. but yeah, I think about that a lot. Like, oh, what if my children, what if somebody, you know, this is, I don't know why somebody would want to write a book or make a movie about me, but I'm like, what if somebody who's trying to document my life when I'm dead finds these? Like, yes, girl, <laughs> that is going to be a lifetime movie that we will never forget. <laughs> oh my gosh, just make sure I'm dead. I don't want to be alive when they make a lifetime movie out of me. <laughs> so funny. So um, you said you did the therapy. You started opening up and being vulnerable with people, which is awesome. Um, Journaling. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what else? Was there anything else that you would say was able to kind of take you out of that place and get you onto that journey? Were there any, like, books you read or changing up your diet or anything? Yeah. So there was a couple things. I've, I've, thank God for my mother. Um, I have always had a great mix of appreciating things like, you know, uh, highly caloric soul food <laughs> and like mm-hmm. really healthy, flavorful foods. That's all my mom. She's a master in the kitchen. Um, and so when I was at this time, when I was in college, I was living in Philadelphia. My mom was in Atlanta. Atlanta was where I was raised, technically Cobb County, if you know, I'm not technically in Atlanta, but anyway. Um, and so my diet was was pretty okay um it was it was kind of funny because they used to make fun of me at church because i ate so healthy or so much more healthier than everybody else in a very mm-hmm. sweet loving way but they would ask me before veggie chips were a thing they were like you eat veggie chips so when veggie chips came out i like took a picture and i was like guys they make these now and that is they so funny. Was but um so but part of so food is i food is such a big deal to me i food is like uh, food is one of those gifts from God that I'm like, thank you for giving us flavors and variety and like cooking mm-hmm. methods. I just, I love what happens at the table. I love when you share food, when you try new food, when I love food. Um, and so one of the things that was healing for me was baking and cooking for others, having people over getting that because one of the things that happened is I got very isolated. Um, mm-hmm. I would be by myself a lot. Part of it was I was, you know, I gotta, I gotta read and pray so I could be, so I could not be a bad person because I'm so mm-hmm. terrible on the inside, like you know. And so mm-hmm. the moving out of that meant me getting back into the space that I really enjoy being, which is hospitality and feeding people and baking things. Um, and so. Um, at this time, I was an assistant camp director, and I used to, in the, the summer that I was doing this, I uh, it was a couple years after I um, graduated from college, and mm-hmm. I had something called Yummy Mondays, and so every weekend, I would bake a pie, cookies, brownies, a cake, and I would bring it in for my staff, oh, and like wow. on, on Fridays, they'd be like, Yummy Mondays, like you're you're still baking. I'm like, guys, I do this every <laughs> Monday. Yes, I'm gonna come in with something. Um, so those things, like really getting connected to the things that, um, that I believe I've been created with that bring me joy, that I also get to give to the rest of the world. Um, mm-hmm. getting more involved with that and kind of coming out of that 
that shell and that protection, that quote unquote protection, the false protection of isolation was yeah. good. Um, it helped me get out of my head. It helped me connect and create in ways that brought me joy in life. Um, and then it's like, I, I realized that I wanted more of that and less of the pain. And then I, and so then I'm trying to figure out how do I have more of the, the joy? How do I have more of the contentment and kind of move away from this place of pain that I've been feeling like I just deserve it and, you know, everything. Um, the other thing I did was, um, God bless gospel music, but it was like the only thing I ever listened to. And so I changed, mm-hmm. um, just, I listened to a different style of in- inspirational music. I discovered like folk inspirational music and like, CCM and like I didn't know anything about this stuff Mm -hmm. Um, and there were some songs and some artists that just gosh the the words in those songs were so powerful to speak to right where I was and Mm. the honesty that these songwriters had helped me understand oh this is what it's like when you open up and you can say these things to God like I can you know talk about how much I'm hurting and not be like, God doesn't want to hear about that girl. He just needs you to get it together. So Mm. that was really, that was very powerful for me. Um, And there are still songs I listen to today that just because of the role that they had in my growth, it's just been, I I can listen to them today and just, you know, be in pieces because they're, they're just, they've touched me so much. Um, Oh my gosh. What what's yeah. like one of the songs or like one of the like is there anything that someone could go to Spotify like is there like yeah some way to find like something like give yes. give me like one thing so I can look it up after we're done <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah for sure um so the two so the the first two people I found out about was Jenny Owens and she spells her name J I N N Y. Did I say that right? J? No, G I N N Y Owen. And she's she's blind and she's a songwriter. Mm-hmm. And just her first couple of albums, I was like, y'all, mm-hmm. yo, girl, <laughs> thank you. Like she's very like her her vocals are very sweet. Like she's mm-hmm. not aggressive in her vocals or harsh, but. The stuff that she sings about, she I was like, oh, you really trying to get what you trying to get with us? You trying to okay? Um, so oh, that wow. was good. And then Bebo Norman, who is now mm-hmm. since retired from making music, um, mm-hmm. he has a lot of that. Like, I'm very ballady. Like, I like mm-hmm. ballads, and so he was like, his music was ballady, but his lyrics were just really great. One of my favorite albums of his is called. Between the Dreaming and the Coming True, I believe that's what mm. it's called. Um, mm-hmm. Those were my first two. Jason Gray actually has a, a couple of great albums. Uh, one of my favorites is called A Way to See in the Dark. That's a really awesome album. Um, and uh, some people I discovered later, Need to Breathe, um, some older Jimmy Needham. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Um, virtue, which they are more on the on the gospel side, but they also had some really inspiring stuff. They have a great um, uh, I can't remember the name of it, right? Uh, I 
can't pull up the name of the um the album, but Virtue. If you look mm-hmm. them up on Spotify, there's also this like hardcore rock people called Virtue. So it just the Virtue is like three, <laughs> three ladies, three black ladies. Like that's who you're looking for. <laughs> I don't know what the other people saying about. That is but. so funny. Well, if you guys go on Spotify, just make sure you're looking at the right virtue because Lord yeah. only knows if you click on the wrong one, what you're going to be listening to. They got all kinds of stuff going on. So okay, well, um, I wrote down my list. So, yeah. And thank then, you for sharing that. Yeah. And I know you asked about some books. I was, uh, what was I reading? I was reading a lot of Christian inspiration, a lot of devotionals. And at What's some like, point, I stopped because it was like information overload. There was like, it was like too many messages at one time. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I had to allow myself to do was to reset how I was taking those messages in because I would be reading. um, Like I listened, there was a point in college. I listened to a lot of Joyce Meyer. I listened to a Mm her book. Did I go to one of her conferences? I don't know if I don't, I don't think I went to a conference. I probably wanted to, but I don't think I went. I um, sure did. Not a conference, yeah. but I went to one of her events. <laughs> yes, I don't yeah. I feel that I feel maybe I was imagining myself being there, but um mm-hmm. but yeah, I, a lot of her stuff. Um I read some of Juanita Juanita Bynum's early stuff. Um but I just had to stop because I was like you you're it was just it was so much and I hadn't learned how to take it in from a lens of love. Um, and so it was still, everything felt condemning, whether they were trying to be condemning or not, you know, whatever their message was, that's how it felt. And so I had to press pause on that. Um, I haven't, I haven't read Joyce Meyer's stuff in a really long time, but, um, but that's kind of where I was around this time. Um, yeah. So, Okay, so I've actually written some some things down, so I got a good little list here. Um, yeah, and I thank you for Who showed you that it was okay to aim high and go for your dreams while also just being yourself? For me, it was radio host Big Boy, Oprah, and KTLA news reporter Gail Anderson. In part, these people are the reason why this podcast specifically exists. This is the power of Black representation in media. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is more than a podcast. It's a celebration of Blackness from NPR where every voice is as distinct and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In this collection, you'll find stories of joy, resilience, and empowerment. Each episode, a living account of what it means to be Black today. From the intricate narratives of The Wire to the wisdom of Michelle Obama and the urgent call for reparations, Black Stories, Black Truths really is the truth. Space wasn't always made for our perspective, so NPR's new collection is necessary as it celebrates the richness of the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. Feeling more grounded and relaxed is Black Girl Peace for me. And so I really need that while doing things like uh, tackling my to-do list or even braving this crazy LA traffic. If you know, you know. So something that helps me tap in is Recess Mood. It's a delicious sparkling water made to enhance your relaxation time and mood without any alcohol involved. So what you will get instead is real fruit, mood lifting magnesium, and stress balancing adaptogens. And again, 
no alcohol plus no added sugar so i've tried all the flavors and i really really like strawberry rose it's like um a little burst of peace in the middle of chaos because again for real navigating this cali traffic is insane now recess mood is not only my go-to for staying balanced while on the go but it's also good for chilling at home too it's like having a little slice of relaxation right in the palm of your hand so next time you need a little pick-me-up without the alcohol without the hangover give recess mood a shot it's been a fantastic addition to my routine you deserve a healthier way to unwind Head to takearecess.com forward slash self-care and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. My hair is kinky, it's coily, it's beautiful, it's all the things, but the dryness is real, so it's also prone to feeling parched. This is why Waze Anti-Frizz Cream is my new BFF. It not only changes frizz, but helps my hair feel more hydrated. Listen, summer is coming. We are trying to be outside, going to brunch, plus traveling, and summer activities aren't always kind to our strands, okay? So let me tell you what I do for this. I wash my hair every one to two weeks. Don't sleep on Waze Detox Shampoo, by the way, if you have hard water or buildup. I detangle. I smooth in a little of the Way Anti-Frizz Cream, then shingle in my natural gel. My hair is frizz-free, it's hydrated, and it's cute for days. Love sleek styles? Waze Anti-Frizz Cream works as a heat protectant up to 450 degrees as well. Frizz-free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code SELFCARE for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com, promo code SELFCARE. That, because I will definitely go to Spotify and give a listen to at least a few of these names that you mentioned, yeah. so that's awesome. So let's fast forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like You've kind of been you know, for a few years, I would assume you've been just starting your healing process, you're journaling, you're going to therapy, you're just Mm -hmm. opening up and just opening your heart and actually caring for people and serving people, which probably helped you even more. And so you eventually end up, and I'm not sure if I got this in the right order, but you move to Philly because you've, you've quit your job, moved to Philly, and then you get married or vice versa. You ended up getting married and then ultimately you ended up quitting your job and moving to Philly. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, I was already in Philadelphia. When when the crisis happened, I was going to school in Philadelphia. Um, oh, okay. So I was in Philly from 2002 to about 2010. And in 2010, I was at a job that I cried at most days. Um, Mm. I felt so overwhelmed. Um, I didn't feel like I I knew what my capabilities were for quality of work for what I wanted to do. And even then it was still some people pleasing caught up in that for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just, uh, I felt so overloaded. Um, and I had been in Philly for about eight years. I, a lot of my family was still in Atlanta. And when I, when I say family, my blood family kind of lives all over. But the village mm-hmm. that my mother created for us was in Atlanta. Um, and so um, we had had some deaths in the family. And we had had some 
some births and some graduate. There was just stuff going on and I felt like I wasn't present, which was difficult. Um, and then this job, I was like, I don't want to be here. My, <laughs> my coworkers and I would, mm-hmm. uh, get in, we'd get in one of our offices, close the door and be like, maybe this place will burn down when it's closed and nobody's in it. Because we didn't want anybody to get hurt. But we right. just didn't want the building to be there anymore. So they'd be like, oh, you don't have to come to work for a couple of days or for two Girl. weeks. got to figure out what happened. The old <laughs> building burning fantasy. Man, oh man, have I had one or a thousand of those. Again, not with someone getting hurt or being caught inside, right. but just over right. the weekend, you know, right. there was some kind of natural disaster and a hurricane and we are not in anywhere near hurricane country. Right. Yeah. right. Just a hurricane is going to come through and demolish the building and it's going to be down for like three or four months. Yeah. Something. Still yes. We'll still pay you, but. And, and you'll still get paid. Done. Yes. Well, of course, because it's not your fault that the natural disaster happened. Bye. They have to pay you. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I, I was like, this is, I am not in a good place. Like, this is not where I need to be. And it was hard because I had recently, like, I started that job November of 2009 and I left like in, at the end of May of 2010. Like I wasn't there that long, which I didn't feel good about. Um, but I was, wow, so you knew like right away that this is just not, I mean, within a year, yeah. you know, you knew was, that this just wasn't it. Yeah, it was not. It was not it at all. Um, and so I, uh, part of in that space, I had to, it was like, do you just stay so that your resume doesn't look like you left the job quickly? And so, you know, do you stay for all of these reasons or do you leave because you're miserable? Um, and I, I prayed a lot because I was very unsure about I felt like moving was such a huge decision. Like I had built a life in Philadelphia. I had relationships in Philadelphia. Um, I was living in a, by myself, you know, hair flip studio apartment in Philadelphia. You know, I felt like I was doing things. And, um, and if I moved back home, I would be moving back home with my mom. Like, so well, what is that? What about that? Like you're in your mid twenties living with your mom, you know? So there's all those things that you think through. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was still in a space of like, is God going to be mad if I just get up and move and do what I want? And it was so mm-hmm. interesting because uh, I was really like praying like, Lord, I'll stay if you want me to. But can you just like let me know, like, is it OK to move back to Atlanta? <laughs> and I tell you what, the Lord sure did give me an answer through license plate on the back of cars. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I- tell me about that. I started seeing, I'll tell you when it started. I went to Tennessee to visit some family mm-hmm. and something. So I was supposed to leave one evening and something happened with the flight. I don't remember if it was weather or if they, but they canceled it. And then I had to leave the next morning. So I'm in the car with my aunt. She's driving me to the airport and she goes, now, mind you, I'm living in Philadelphia at this time. I'm, I'm considering going back home to Georgia. I had talked to her the night before. I was like, I don't know what I was going to do. She's like, oh, if you want, you know, she's being encouraging. Like, it's fine. Like, yeah, if you want to move, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe I should stay in Philly. Mm-hmm. So she's like, we're driving. She's like, oh, that's weird. There's a Georgia license plate right in front of us. And I was like, what? That, that's a little weird. We're in Tennessee, but that's weird. Mm-hmm. I get back to Philly. And for like the next two weeks, there are Georgia license plates everywhere. 
I had oh, never wow. seen that many Georgia license plates in Philadelphia. And I'm riding around mm. with my best friend at one time and I'm telling her, I'm like, I see one and I'm like, oh my gosh. She was like, yeah, you just, do you get it yet? Like, did you just leave? Like, it's fine. Cause I was still like, I don't know, maybe I'm making it up. How am I making up, you know, seeing Georgia license plates all over Philadelphia, you know? So I think it's because you're attracted to it. Like maybe there were, they were there and you just never really paid attention to it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But once you were kind of needing a sign, there I was just right there in front of your face. Very visible. And I said, all right, I'm leaving and I'm not feeling bad about it. And that was a big thing. It was, I didn't want to leave and feel bad about the decision to leave. Um, Mm. And so that gave me the peace that I needed. And girl, I was fine. I was obviously the biggest thing was I was going to miss the people um, that I had created these relationships with. I'm still in relationships with many of those people. Obviously, it changes when you live many states away, things like that. But, you know, um, nobody's like broken up with me as a friend because I moved. And so um, the most important things definitely stayed intact. And Mm -hmm. It was, it was good for me. Um, it was definitely good to move back to Atlanta. Mm. I love the fact that you just went for it. You know what I mean? Because I think a lot of times I'm speaking from experience. Um, you, we just stay. We just yeah. stay. Like we're just tied with this invisible rope to <laughs> yeah. whatever current life. I mean, literally, like, like I'm, I'm sure you've seen the meme or of the meme of the horse that's not even tied to any like anything and he just stays there because he thinks or he's tied to like a plastic folding chair yeah and he just stays yeah. there because he thinks that it's holding him there when really it's us yeah that are I holding know. ourselves there mm-hmm. mentally you we're just that rope yourself and yeah you rope yourself yeah. yeah. And then we just get caught in that little snare and our mind is just like, it starts freaking out. Like anytime you want to move forward or leave or change, mm-hmm. even, even if you want to start wearing your hair slightly different than you did for it's the last year, your thing. mind just starts mm-hmm. freaking mm-hmm. out. Like, girl, what are you doing? You need yeah. to stop. This is crazy. Are you crazy? This is not going to work. It's going to yeah. fail. Like it just starts flashing all these red lights i guess which is supposed to be protection i'm assuming but once you move past that which is what you did it's like on the other side a lot of times it's just it's just more than you could have ever even thought was possible or it's just another level to to your life that you would have never gotten to had you just stayed stagnant oh yeah so so you've gotten yeah i I was just gonna say i think one of the ways that, so at the end of my time in Philadelphia, I had gotten to this certain place with, with my faith and with, with my own like internal growth and change where I was feeling much more free than I was, you know, 2010. So, you know, four years earlier. Um, And if I had stayed in Philadelphia, I don't think the growth that happened in Atlanta would have happened because Mm. Just the way things worked out when I got here and what I ended up doing, there were these different ways that I grew where what what I had going on in Philadelphia would not have, it it would not have um, afforded me those same growth points. 
And so you're right. Like you move forward and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Or I'm not even sure what I'm doing next. Like I moved to Georgia without a job. And, um, you know, that's like the cardinal sin. Like you're not allowed to move to the next thing without a thing in place. <laughs> um, and uh, what I ended up doing ended up leading me into this other thing that, that just, gosh, I, if it had worked out any other way, the growth that I experienced would would not have been what it was. And so it's interesting what's set up for you on the other side. What is the thing that says it says um uh everything you want is on the other side of fear? Mm-hmm. It's it's true. <laughs> That's a true statement. Um and it's not about not feeling the fear, it's about recognizing it and saying, first of all, is this valid? And if it's not, then saying, thanks, fear, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm good. And then you move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and that yeah. takes practice. I'm not, I mean, I've failed at that many times and like false started and done all of that. And I think I've gotten to a point where I have learned to do it anyway more than letting fear stop me. Ooh, I love that because yeah, you're right. The fear, at least for me, my experience, it doesn't ever really go away a hundred percent, but it's like you have to take a step back and really analyze like, okay, so what is the worst case that could happen? And you'll say, oh, you know, if I quit my job and move across state, I could, I don't know, I have to live on someone's couch or I'll lose, you know, I'll lose everything. I'll lose my car or whatever and take it a step further and say, okay, if you lose your car, what's the worst thing, you know, and just keep going, going, going till you drill down and find out really what that fear is all about. You know what I'm saying? Is it that you find that people will think you're stupid so really it's embarrassment or shame or is it because you think you'll be homeless and you'll die because or whatever you know you just have to kind of and sometimes you'll drill all the way down and you'll realize you know what this is ridiculous Ridiculous. you know what i'm saying yeah it's Mm -hmm. not gonna happen to that extent Mm -hmm. i'm not saying it's gonna be cushy or comfortable or whatever and there's definitely gonna be some some things you'll have to achieve or accomplish or get over but a lot of times we go automatically to that worst case, yes. you know, and it just freaks us out. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that that worst case isn't even as bad as you thought it was going to be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, Listen, yeah, I love that. This is like recent. I know we're like in like nine years. We're talking about nine years ago, but I got to tell you this. Um, there's a podcast I listen to now called... Mm-hmm. Um, Oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking. Uh, <laughs> Nora Borealis. What is the name of the podcast? Um, terrible. Thanks for asking is the name of the podcast. Oh, I've heard of that. It's, I haven't listened to it yet, but I have it on my. I, I'm so scrubbed. I haven't listened to it. That's terrible. Oh, it's so good. But so in uh, recent ish in this past season, um, she does an episode where she's talking about this experience that she had with. Um, a friend of hers and they're like they're it's like a summer day they're at the pool I think their kids are either playing in the pool or like their kids aren't there and they just had some like girl time or whatever and they're mm-hmm. like rehashing like terrible things about life or like whatever um 
or being worried about things that could happen. And, you know, towards the end, she challenges herself and her friend instead of saying, like, what's like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like asking yourself, what's the best thing that could happen? Girl, that blew my mind. I didn't. Girl, I was like, what's the best thing that can? Yes. I know. She flipped yes. it, put her thing down, flipped it and reversed it. Yeah. She did. And I was in the car driving with my mouth open, like, yo, why don't we ask ourselves that question? Mm-hmm. And then she started talking about like the be- in the in some of the examples she was given, she was like, "Well, if the best thing in this case would be this or this or this." And I was like, "Yo, that's way funner than talking about to try to figure out the worst thing and then planning for that." Um, and yeah. I think I think a lot of it is like you don't. It's this weird thing where we think if we plan for the worst, then we won't have to experience the pain of disappointment. Um, which is untrue. Uh, Brene Brown, who I love, Brene Brown. Me um, too. So good. She talks about in her research how people who have uh, tried to, people have dealt with what she calls foreboding joy, where something, something of joy happens, and then they don't want to celebrate because they're afraid, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yes, and she <laughs> yeah. says. But people who do that say it doesn't help. Like you still experience the pain if something bad happens. So don't do the don't do the foreboding joy thing. Enjoy it while it's happening. Yes, it's going to change. Yes, life is going to, you know, it's not all going to be joyous. But when it when you do have those moments, be present and enjoy them because the other thing doesn't work. You're not protecting yourself from anything. So I think it feels risky to hope like that and to really trying to live in that joy but that's like such a heartbeat of vulnerability and true authenticity and connection and empathy which is all stuff that she talked about like uh, so that phrase just blew my mind what's the best that's like a vital part of life you know that is a vital part of life when we are on our path searching for joy and happiness and living Mm -hmm. our best lives and going up and all that i mean seriously we have to i mean that's just that's just a part of life and i Mm -hmm. do like that she flipped that question like that and was like what is the best thing that can happen because i think Actually, when we start to ask ourselves, and I, I need to listen to that podcast. I swear, it, I have it. I'm subscribed and have I'm subscribed to so many doggone podcasts. I try to listen to so much stuff, but terrible things for asking. I, thing. you know, but yeah, it's like, what is the best thing? Because we want to move our minds so much to the negative, like you said, to be mm-hmm. prepared for. Oh well, you know, but damn it, if we get our energy up and even just for a brief moment. Get into that positive moment of just the what if, you know, the best, most magical thing happens and start expecting a little more damn magic in our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we can get that. Not every single moment is going to be magical. But I think if we kind of have a little more expectation of positivity or positive things happening, Mm -hmm. then we'll get more of that kind of stuff happening in our lives. Yeah. So I, I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I am, um, again, I know we're off the timeline a little bit, but I, uh, after I moved back to Atlanta, 
I ended up doing uh, some work in addiction recovery. And I remember um, having a client who we were, I was having a coaching session with, with a client and um, I was working in the aftercare on the aftercare team. So they would be, the clients would be in a 90 day program. And towards the end, they would start engaging with the aftercare team. So we could figure out what is your living situation? What are some of your goals? What are your needs? Like, how are how are you going to engage in recovery day to day when you're not you know here in the bubble? Um, so I'm meeting with one of these clients, and he we're having this session, and I'm talking to him about yes, I understand there were there are things that happened, and you made some decisions and did some things that made your life and others' lives really hard, and now you're having to deal with the consequences of that. And yes. We, that is something that you will do. And tell me about what brings you joy. Tell me about what gives you life, because that needs to be on your goals list as well. And so we're talking to this and he said at the end of the session, he's like, you're like my dream and vision consultant. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, because we have even in like, even in a place where you are like, starting to come out of whatever that darkness is if it's addiction if it's you know mental illness if it's loss if it's grief whatever whatever that space is you have got the hard stuff that you that we have to do that's part of the process of healing you've got a hope too um there's only so much healing and it only looks a certain way if you don't mix in some hope and some dreaming with that um, mm-hmm. I think that's how we learn to li- to really live well after the crisis, whatever the crisis is, um, is we, we, you know, decide we're going to take a risk and hope and dream. Um, and, uh, it's messy and it's definitely not a 45 degree angle up, but it is worth it. Oh my gosh, it's so worth it. And there's people who are willing to walk with you through it. And I think those are the things that we have to remember. Mm. Yeah, very important. Very, very important. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, we've got to kind of wrap things up now, which I always hate to get to this time (laughs) because I feel like we start really getting into the meat within the last like 20, 30 minutes. But um. Since you are a newer mom and um, you have a toddler these days running around the house, mm-hmm. um, what would be maybe one or two takeaways you can give um, someone that's listening or a, a woman that's listening today um, in regards to how you're honoring yourself and um, taking time for self-care What's something that she can do? Like, what's like, what's your biggest form of self-care these days? Uh, my biggest form of self-care these days. Um, this is this is going to sound however it's going to sound, I guess. But uh, <laughs> delegating to my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I. We have my husband and I have had this conversation many times about how I feel like. I have to be the CEO of the household. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I, 
but I hadn't learned how to delegate. So I was doing like 90% of things. And this is even when she was real little, like brand new, you know, I'm feeling like I have to, cause I'm the one who cooks and I'm going to clean and I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do this and blah, blah, blah. And, um, my husband and I went through a really, uh, what, like this time last year through like the fall, we went through a really rough patch. Um, mm-hmm. Because up until that point, I could not, I couldn't figure out how to prioritize my needs. Um, and first, it it happened when we got married, and then I became a mom. And so the primary thing was being a mom, being a wife, at some point being an employee, and then like I had to be all these other things. And like I never. I constantly sacrificed what I needed, whether it was I want time to read, I want to go out and sit at a coffee shop, I just want to go walk around Marshalls by myself and look at things I'm not going to buy, like whatever those things were, I constantly just said, oh, it's fine, I'll do this thing, oh, we have to cancel it because this other thing is going on, oh, no, no problem. Um so there's actually two th- two parts of that. I delegate more to my husband and I don't say delegate like I tell him what to do, but he's like, can I do this or what do you need me to do? And I'm honest with him. I'm like, can you pick her up from here? Can you do the laundry? Can you go run and do this errand? Like I actually said, instead of saying, it's fine, I got it. I give him, I answer him with things, things that he could do to help. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I schedule, we have a family calendar and I put the time I want on the calendar so it doesn't get scheduled over. So it's, it's a commitment so that he can help hold me accountable and be like, Hey, I thought you were supposed to be doing blah, blah, blah right now. Why are you here? Or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So I really lean, I have learned to lean on him and to trust him in that space. It has definitely been a process. Um, Both of us have had to change, learn, adjust, compromise. Um, if someone's a new mom and they're not married, utilize your village. Who are the people in your village? My mother was a single mom and she was extremely intentional about making a village. I have four godmothers, which I thought was normal until I grew up and people were like, <laughs> I don't have any godparents. Like, how did you have four? Oh. And I'm like, I don't know, I just do. Um, so there, and adopted aunties and uncles just who were friends that became like family who lived close by who could support me and as I grew and could support her as she was being a single mom because that's not easy. I'm married and I look at my mom and I'm like, I have no idea how you did this by yourself. You're amazing. Everything you did was great. You know, like it's just, I have a whole new founded respect for single, single parents because, because I don't have to do it alone and it's still hard some days. So those things, utilize the people around you. When somebody says they want to help, when somebody wants to bring you a meal, when somebody says, can we come over and help? Say yes. And then tell them what you need <laughs> them to do and then let them do it. Let them hold the baby and go take a nap. Like I didn't do that stuff when she was younger. Now we want to have more kids. When we have more kids. Girl, I'm going to be like, um, who's coming over tonight? Cause I got to sleep for eight hours. Like I'm going to just be inviting people to the house. Cause it, I love it. You know, like yeah. you don't have to be super mom. One, and I'm sorry, I know we're probably going to, over time, I have to tell you this one thing. I had this conversation with one of my godmothers. She's amazing. Um, we get together and it's so weird because I'm an adult and we like go get drinks now. <laughs> well, it feels a little weird sometimes, but 
she's having this conversation with me. She's dropping gems. I'm like, you write, oh, you write. Sometimes I don't want you to be right, but you write. And she said to me, you don't have to be everybody's wife. You just have to be your husband's wife. Find out what it means to be his wife. What does he need? What does that look like for the two of you? It don't have to look like nobody else's relationship because y'all are the only ones married to each other. You don't have to be everybody's mom, everybody's super mom. You just need to be your daughter's mom. What does she need? What does it mean for her for you to be the mom that she needs? You know, and that was I was like, yo, you are so right. And that's so freeing because it doesn't matter what other people think about my marriage or my parenting when I'm paying attention to the person I'm married to and the, the people that I'm parenting. That's what matters. So just take advantage of the help when it's offered. If it's not offered, ask mm-hmm. for it. And mm-hmm. you've got your unit. Focus on what your unit needs from you. Um, and, and sorry, one more thing. <laughs> um, you also have to be in a good space so that you can be the wife that you want to be, be the, be the mom that you want to be. If you don't take care of yourself first, those other things are, they are going to suffer. Um, so I have come to see more and more that self-care is, does contribute to the way that I love my family. Because when I'm at my best, then I can come and show up for them much better. Mm. I love all of that. So many takeaways on our chat today, Naya. Thank you so much yes, for taking time to connect with me. Absolutely. I appreciate you um, calling in, Naya. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a blast. Um, and I'm looking forward to more of these conversations. I know there are so many ladies that have great things to say about this topic. So thank you for having me. Thanks, guys, so much for listening to today's episode. I will be sure to place Naya's information in the notes on the show. And um, also, before I go, if you would be so kind as to rate and review if you found this episode helpful on iTunes, that would be tremendous in helping to bring a little more awareness to the Brown Girl Self-Care Podcast. Again, as always, if you need to reach me, I love to hear from you. I love your emails. I love your messages. My email address is connect at browngirlselfcare.com. Again, connect at browngirlselfcare.com. See you next week.